0: The Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com/spottrack in your browser. Get yourself forty percent off that registration for the first year. Download the app, personalize it. It's exclusive, ad-free content at your fingertips. Much of which we're going to discuss today on the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Giannetti. Happy Monday morning. The NFL season is here. First preseason game is this Thursday. Not that anybody cares about that, but it's football, so they will watch. There's plenty to go from there. Uh, the Major League Baseball trade deadline is tomorrow, 6 p.m. Eastern. I will get to some of that today at the back end of the show. I'm going to talk some golf today, just a little bit, because the live PGA stuff is right in front of our faces. The comparison is happening literally. It's literally boring out as we speak. And I got some numbers. I got some projections, some thoughts about where things may be headed, maybe not just in this sport, but other sports. and uh, obviously. <laughs> some well-paid players on one side of this equation. But first, two NFL notes to get to. Obviously, I'm going to start with Deshaun Watson. And then just a quick update on Debo Samuel. I don't have the contract structure just yet, but I have a pretty good educated idea of where things are going here. And certainly this, the, uh, the terms, the length, things like that of this contract make me very, very happy if you've ever listened to me talk about NFL contracts. So that's the next two, two segments here a little bit of golf, a little bit of Major League Baseball trade deadline, and we'll get you out of here for Monday. Today's episode is also prevented by Dynasty Owner. It's fantasy football time. Visit DynastyOwner.com. Use code SPOTTRACK20. Get you and yourself and your friends all set up. Customize the crap out of this thing. There's tons of bells and whistles, tons of options. It's a real NFL salary, Dynasty Fantasy System. Great app, great website, easy to use. Check it out today at dynastyhunter.com. Sean Watson's suspension has been handed down from the court system. It's a six game suspension. I should start there because there's a three-day appeal, three day appeals process. I don't know where this goes. Um I believe there'll be some sort of appeal. I think any appeal would be a bad look, so I'm pushing against that. And I think six is fair. I was expecting eight. I believe that the reason we didn't get any kind of word from the court for a month is that the original recommendation was eight. And they worked with the NFL and possibly the NFLPA. And again, I'm speculating because it's logical. I believe all these parties worked together over the past two to three weeks and said, look, this is what's going to happen. If it's eight, the NFLPA is going to appeal this because they want six. And we can't have that appeal go public because the second there's a pushback on whatever is recommended recommended from the court system, all hell is going to break loose on social media. And by the way, it would have and deservedly so. So my belief is that there was simply just a compromise. If it's eventually going to be six anyway after the appeal, then let's just strip the middleman out and make this thing six right now and deal with the initial couple hours of backlash for it being six and not eight and not 10 and not a full year and let it go away because we got football starting in three days. I believe that's what happened here. I still think it probably should have been eight based on other things that have happened in this league. But if we know anything, and please, Lord God, take this advice to heart on Twitter, please, please stop comparing one suspension to another in the NFL there's no rhyme or reason, there's no flow chart, there's no, there's no this is what it should be for this, even if there is a, a table somewhere in the NFL system that says, all right, for PEDs, first accusers, it's this. If they do it again, it's this. Even if that exists, they don't follow it. Every case is adjudicated separately and rightfully so. It gets a due process system in the court. It gets a due process system throughout the NFL. And it's just not one size fits all. And I, I agree with that. I just think they're so bad at it. <laughs> I, th- I think they are so bad at where things end up most of the time. I- Obviously, there's no criminal-, criminal acts involved here. And I'm not going to speak like I know what I'm talking about in that regard, nor am I going to try to you know, put words in other people's mouths. All I'm going to tell you is it's a six-game suspension for now. I believe it stays that way. I don't believe he appeals. I'm hoping that was already baked into the cake here. What does six games mean? It means $345,000. His base salary this year is 1.035 million um, divided by 18 times six is $345,000, $57,500 per game week missed. That's it. The signing bonus isn't touched. It's 45.65 million of cash earned this year, guaranteed, and 184 million guaranteed through 2026. That's it. Now, if he's suspended again, he'll lose more, but that's it. That's it. Wipe your hands clean of it. Okay, that's it. He's going to make forty-five point six five million dollars this year for eleven weeks of service. Um, this is good news for the Browns, who were, were maybe expecting to be without this guy for quite a while. They'll be back week seven against Baltimore, and they'll go from there. So all that ramping up they did to build the super roster—it's probably going to be all you know worth it. It's going to be worth it. They may win ten games. They may may win twelve games because they can run the ball. If Jacoby Brissett can be a game manager for a few weeks and you know win three out of those six games, they're going to be in decent shape down the stretch. But you can love it, you can hate it. One more note on this, financially speaking. If the language wasn't there in this contract and Deshaun Watson would have had to forfeit not only game checks, but repay some, some of that signing bonus back. And the way this works is very similar. You take the proration for this season, so it's eight million in change, right? Eight eight point nine nine three million is the signing bonus variation for twenty twenty two. You divide that by eighteen, multiply it by six, that's the number. So if we take that number plus the three hundred forty five thousand dollars loss from the from the base salary, he would have lost three point three four million. Okay. Instead it's just three hundred forty five thousand. So that's what that non forfeiture language language did. It saved him, you know, $3 million that he would have lost. Now, look, I'm not an idiot. He's been paying out millions of dollars in settlements. I'm not crying for him. I'm just saying that's a reality. There's no question that he is a much poorer dude today than he was this time last year because of a lot of settlements. And I believe it's down to all but one have been settled. And, you know, if that's peace of mind for some of these women, then that's a positive thing, but to me that's, uh, that's a roundabout way to go through this in my opinion. But again, it should have been 3.34 million, it's 345,000. He'll be back week seven against Baltimore, and he'll we know how this works. If he plays good football, all this is going to be just a, an asterisk in his resume, unfortunately, because he's just going to be an NFL quarterback again and probably a good one, maybe a great one. Certainly a high paid one. No question about that. The one passive-aggressive, contentious uh, you know, note I can bring forward is because it is a six-game suspension and not a full-year suspension, the rest of the contract remains intact. There's no tolling. There's no moving around. He simply loses 345 off of the salary this year, and everybody moves forward, which means the $54.993 million cap hit he carries next year remains, and the Browns are going to have to deal with that one way or another. And by the way, that's his cap hit every year for the next four years. And when they restructure next year, 2024 to 2026 are going to be even higher. Okay, they're going to add a void year. They're going to restructure the $46 million salary somehow, maybe a little bit, maybe a lot. And then we're going to be talking about $60 million cap hits for Deshaun Watson going forward. So look, this is going to hurt. (laughs) It's going to hurt Cleveland. Maybe not so much with the games lost now, now that we know the number. but this contract is going to be difficult. There's a reason you don't give flat $46 million salaries fully guaranteed over five years in the NFL. It's called the hard salary cap. And I, can, I, re, I, I realize that all of you are saying, well, just BS. We just move it around as you need. You're right. You're right. But what if the cap doesn't go up as high as we think next year? What if the NFL kind of slow plays this thing because of inflation, because of whatever the hell they want to do? Their call. Yeah, they can make 8 billion off the TV deals, but they don't have to adjust the cap accordingly. That can be flatlined, they can spread it out over a couple of years, maybe 3-4 years so that it increases 12 million a year instead of 10, but maybe not 20 in one year. And if that happens, 55 million against the cap next year is going to be ugly. Because they got to re-sign Nick Chubb, they got a couple other players on on the books next year that have to get redone. It's going to get ugly. They're going to be turning into the Saints they're going to become a team that has to restructure 9 to 10 contracts every offseason just to handle this contract here because they're going to find out that they can't restructure this contract because doing so is going to lead to a $75 million cap hit in 2026 on a fully guaranteed $46 million salary so there's a lot to think about here and i realize today is about his wrongdoings but from a football number standpoint things are about to get pretty ugly for the cleveland brown and they're going to have to really Maneuver and use cap gymnastics to get around it every year, every single offseason. And at some point in time, they're just going to say, "Screw it, we're ripping this thing up and starting over." If he's going to be the quarterback, they're going to take probably the last ninety-two million dollars in twenty twenty-five and twenty twenty-six, and turn that into a brand new contract because they just simply can't handle the year-to-year forty-six million. So that's coming, and that's coming. But for this year, three hundred forty-five thousand dollars lost, forty-five point six five million made onward and upward from there. On to better news. Debo Samuel becomes the next wide re- I can't even say last because I think Marquise Brown's about to get a contract due. The next wide receiver to get a big-time extension. And by big-time, I mean money. I don't mean years. And this makes me so happy. Troy Downey's done an unbelievable job with these wide receivers this offseason. He's been responsible for about 85% of these wide receiver contracts. He is the lead agent on Debo Samuel's deal we don't have the full breakdown yet, but it's a three year, $71.5 million extension. So just under 24 million a year in terms of base value with 58.1 million fully guaranteed. Um, that may not be the at signing number. If I had to guess, it's about 30, 35 million at signing the first two seasons. And then we go from there and maybe the third year locks in next off season, next March. That's generally how Dondi's contracts have worked. Uh, Look, that 58.1 is just under DK Metcalf. So call it what you want. You know, Put those two next to each other however you need to do it compar- comparatively. They're basically identical contracts. DK Metcalf got 31 million guaranteed at signing, but Seattle doesn't do anything past the first year. So that's always going to be the case. San Francisco is sort of similar, but this contract already, without even knowing the breakdown, breaks San Francisco's structures. San Francisco likes long contracts that they can front load and then have tons of value at the back end of it. Obviously, that was out of the question here. That's not what Debo Samuel wanted, and that's not what Debo Samuel got. So I expect this a little bit to be a little bit more traditional. Um, like I said, probably two years fully guaranteed. Third one locks in next year. Rip up the fourth year. He'll be 29 years old. He can either stay there and extend or get himself to a better situation at that point in time. But either way, even if he plays this thing out, he won't be 30 hitting this next contract, which is obviously where Tory Dondi's head has been with all of these guys, Mike Williams, Chris Godwin, Debo Samuel, AJ Brown, DK Metcalf. And will he do the same with Marquise Brown? Of course, especially in a situation where DeAndre Hopkins may be the number one there for the next three years, and he may have to go a little bit less in terms of the, uh, the initial pay this year for this rookie extension to account for the fact that he's going to be a WR2 at some point in time, but not forever, right? So you get in and get out with Marquise Brown, get him some quick cash, give him a nice signing bonus, let him build upon his career with a good quarterback in Kyler, a good wide receiver arsenal, and you know make, it, make a bigger name for himself. And then either he becomes the guy there and they move on from DeAndre, and or he goes and finds his own team again, becomes a true number one wide receiver in terms of pay as well. All before age 30. That's the point. That's where we're going here. So it's been an unbelievable wide receiver offseason. I've done shows on it. I've done articles on it. It can't be said enough because... Where this position has gone over the past four years is just, it's just unbelievable. <laughs> you know, this is the 20th player now with a $20 million AAV. 20. 20. There's only 32 WR1s in the league, guys. So <laughs> this is a big, big step forward. Yes, the money's going up for everybody, but not to this level. And tight ends are going to fall way behind here. Obviously, running backs are sliding backwards, but it's just big news. And, at some point in time, Marquise Brown's getting done. At some point in time, Deont- Deontay Johnson's getting done. He probably gets a franchise tag from Pittsburgh next year and or just simply hits the open market because Pittsburgh may, may go even more backwards this year and then just not have the, the allocations to get this done. So there's plenty to do here, but the wide receiver stuff has been fun. Once we have the full structure on Debo's contract, we will certainly be back on this show and uh, on YouTube breaking that down. And maybe we'll do an entire wide receiver segment on YouTube where I simply just run through a a full table of all these offseason wide receiver contracts and who got what where. And, you know, year one cash, year three cash, signing bonus breakdowns, certainly, uh, you know, McLaurin and DK Metcalf win that battle. But there's plenty to talk about here. And I think this will be an anomaly. If I had to guess, I think. In 18 months, we're going to look at this offseason with the wide receiver and say, what the H were we all thinking, (laughs) right? Because how many of these guys, unfortunately, are going to be nicked up and injured this year? How many of these guys are going to want off this team in two years? It's a diva position. It always has been. And rightfully so. you got to play with the best quarterback on the best team at the best time. That's how your career gets to where it needs to get to. And that's how you get your ring. At some point in time, half of these guys are going to hate where they are soon. And it's going to come an NBA situation where D.K. Metcalf looks around and says, all right, this isn't getting any better. Get me the H out of here, right. Even Tyreek Hill was able to do this, folks. So I do think we're getting to a point where so much was now thrown into the fire with wide receiver money and contracts that when you go to stir it all up, it's going to get ugly at some point in time. Will wide receivers get paid? No question. We're going to see the biggest contract in the history of wide receivers next offseason when Justin Jefferson comes up. It's happening. Even if Minnesota is a shell of themselves, even if Kirk Cousins gets released or traded on a fully guaranteed salary, Even if that happens, D.K. Metcalf just got his deal on a basically quarterbackless Seattle Seahawks. There's no question Justin Jefferson's not getting his contract. So this isn't coming to a grinding halt next offseason. There's plenty of good wide receivers that are going to get paid next year. But at some point in time, I do think we look back and say, man, that was too much for one position, for one player, when we need four or five of those guys on our roster. But we shall see. It's been fun for sure. Let's talk some golf, some baseball, and get out of here today. Live Golf entered New Jersey for its latest tournament. A couple of new major names, including the winner. Henrik Stenson wins, and he cashes in big. It's a $4.375 million weekend for Henrik Stenson in his first joint tournament with the Live Golf situation, which is quite the payday for him. Uh, Look, this guy's been a name. He's won big, but it's been a minute. In the PGA, since he's kind of been a notable name. In fact, the four point three seven five million this weekend is basically what he has earned over the past five seasons on the PGA Tour. In thirteen tournaments this year on the PGA, before he left for Live, he bagged about one hundred and eighty five thousand dollars. So, you know, wasn't getting the top tens, wasn't getting up there, was missing cuts, was basically dropping, you know, vet minimum salaries here for thirteen weeks. One big weekend and live, and his life is again changed. I mean, he hasn't earned this kind of bang in six years on the PGA Tour. It's been a while since he's had a five million dollar season. So that's just how it works. A, there's a lot of golfers. There's a lot of turnover. There's a lot of parity. It's just harder to do. And live is short and sweet with 48 golfers and three rounds. And if you can play and have your week, it's a year changing kind of payday. Not only did he win the individual but his team ended up winning as well. So that's why it's a a bigger than normal pay, even for live standards. This is the kind of stuff we're going to see. We're going to see people's lives changed in one weekend on this tour because of the money. So you can call it the cash grab. You can call it the dirty money. It's all true, but this money is legitimate. (laughs) I mean, if we're talking about, it's been, this is what, been six weeks old, live? Here's your top three in terms of earnings on the live tour. Brandon Grace still at 6.9 million. He went back to back. Charles Schwartzel, 5.5 million. He's a winner. And Dustin Johnson at 5.4 million. And then Stenson. So we're talking about four players in about a month and a half that have made over four over 4.5 million on this tour. It's significant. And by the way, that is outside of whatever kind of bonus or guarantee or sponsorship, you know, buy in they received, these numbers were big. We know Dustin Johnson went very big in terms of a buy in. So it's big time stuff. Not only are they getting the initial payouts and the signing bonuses, but the, annual, the week-to-week stuff can be this significant. For, just for reference, and I don't have it on the top of my head, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you my guess. I'm pretty sure the Masters winner this year won $2.7 million. The Masters winner. Stenson just basically doubled that this week in New Jersey on Trumpland. That's what happened. Um, so let's switch to the PGA. Similar framework. Much smaller event in the Rocket Mortgage Classic. Tony Finau wins for the second straight week, which is great. Great dude. And uh, he has these kind of runs in him. His earnings go up to $5.5 million, which is 12th on the list. That surpasses... This is basically his second biggest earnings season in his history, in his career. And there's a whole month left, and he does very well down the stretch here in terms of the uh, the trends. He's gonna probably bag one of these last three to four tournaments, or at least finish strongly, which means he's gonna have a career year. This will be his as highest as he's ever gotten. He's probably gonna reach the six million dollar mark. Again, I'm trying to do this in reference to what I just said about Live. Okay, one week in Live can be one can be Tony Finau's best year ever on the PGA Tour. I want to stick with the PGA here because it's I want to give you the numbers as they are. Tony Finau, like I said, 5.5 million, he's 12th. Here's your top 3. It's still Scotty Scheffler, 13.1 million, Cam Smith of course now, 9.8, and Rory at 8.2. He's having a hell of a year, just can't get that big win under his belt yet. But that's where we stand. Um, you know, the the top live is 7 million, the top PGA member is 13.1 million. That's going to even out over the next month, if not surpass it from a live standpoint. If Brandon Grace wins another LIV tournament, He's going to jump way ahead of things here. So it's for real. I don't know if it's got sticking power just yet. There's certainly not a TV network or a streaming service that uh, is worth a damn. But the, the money's real. Not just the buy-ins, but the, the week-to-week the stuff. And that's uh, there's really no way to do it but compare. I mean, we're comparing JV to Varsity right now in terms of on-course earnings. And it's going to continue this way. And more of these guys are going to drop over, I I would think. Over the winter, after the PGA schedule ends this month, at the end of this month with the Tour Championship, we're going to hear some serious, serious names. And then the the Masters is going to have to figure out its stance. The rest of the majors will have to figure out their stance. And if the stance is, play a golf wherever you want to play golf, and if you qualify, you can come play in our, in, our ma- in our major, it's going to be an onslaught of movement, in my opinion, because we're seeing... On a week-to-week basis, we're seeing the winner of the PGA earn a quarter of what the winner of the live tournament is making for an extra day of golf with much less gravitas. So, look, guys like Dustin Johnson can go there and kind of hide. They can go make 10 mil on top of their signing bonus and not really be bothered that much until they get to a major and have to kind of face the music in front of a microphone. I, I think there's a real... Draw for that part of it as well. Yeah, I know the backlash. I get it, and I I'm not ignoring it, but I'm just kind of logically trying to understand where this is headed. Because obviously, you know, Scott's putting in the work to track all this stuff on Spot Track, and I think he's doing a great job, and we're going to continue to expand on this because the trend stuff is really interesting to me. But now that there's some back and forth, and and by the way, that could be the decision. The decision could be that the PGA realizes that they are, you know, a car on the on the railroad tracks and the train is coming through and they're going to have to say, look, you want to bounce back and forth? If you want to if you want to remain a PGA member, you got to play eight tournaments. You can go do whatever you want the other 47 weeks of the year, whatever whatever it's going to be. But we need you locked in for eight tournaments and then you're good. I I think we might get there. I I truly do. And then these guys will be able to bounce back and forth. This happens with NASCAR. This happens with car racing quite a bit. I think we're headed there. I really do. And I wonder if tennis is next. Tennis is going to have a big moment when that Netflix documentary drops. There's no way, there's no way in my mind that the people who did the F1 situation aren't going to have similar results with their tennis documentary on Netflix, which is going to boom. And they're going to need it because Nadal's out, Federer's out, Serena's out. You know, Djokovic is on his last couple of legs here. They're going to need that that kick in the ass. And will it be something like this? Will tennis have its live moment where there's a separation, Somebody, some kind of big corporation or company or country comes in and says, look, we want to promote the hell out of the individuality of the sport and pay these people what they're actually worth and promote them properly and blah, blah, blah. To me, it could happen. And if they get a boost from that Netflix documentary, look out. So I'm just trying to kind of see the... Uh, the sun through the trees here in terms of where this sport and maybe other sports might be headed because I, just reading the numbers which is what i do on a daily basis here with everything this is like i said jv versus varsity so we'll keep tracking it we'll keep updating it but uh certainly a huge weekend for henrik Stenson and the live girl all right let's bounce over to major league baseball one of my favorite discussions and one of my favorite times of year the mlb trade deadline is tomorrow 6 p.m eastern which is so tasty that's new Used to be in the middle of the day like every other trade deadline is. 6 p.m. is fun because it's an hour before those night games start, those primetime games start, right? So uh, anticipate Juan Soto being on the field, warming up at Nationals Park, about to face Jacob deGrom, by the way, in his return to the mound tomorrow, and being pulled out of batting practice or pulled out of fielding practice because he just got traded to the San Diego Padres. It's, it's 100% possible. It's 105% possible. Um, and that's gonna be live on, on TV somewhere. That's, they're gonna be following this, in my opinion, on believe, Network, going ballpark to ballpark, right down to that 6 p.m. deadline, if it gets to that. And many of these deals do get right down to the wire. So I think it's a brilliant move by Major League Baseball, something I don't say very often, right? They have found a way to make a TV show out of this. Put it in a dinner hour or prime time on the East Coast line it up, you know, butt it up right, right against your primetime game schedule and let these big guys go. If What if Soto goes? What if Shohei goes? What if it's right down to the wire? I think it's very smart. I'm looking forward to it. And I'm anticipating one of these major names being moved right at that six o'clock deadline. So it's, it's a good move by them. Let's talk about the, the breakdown. I'm, I'm kind of referencing Jim Bowden's great work at the athletic here. Who's kind of, not only has been obviously going deep dives on this stuff, but now he's got like a, A trade deadline Eve primer with all the stuff we've all been talking about and where things may stand. He's kind of reading the tea leaves as well. Obviously, number one is Juan Soto. Uh, We had some great discussions last week about this. Cousin Dan has done tons of prospect work for us, kind of ramping up into some bigger things on spytrack.com. But obviously, it ties in nicely to the trade situation as well because he's very aware of which farm systems have who. And obviously, you know, the Seattle move with Luis Castillo. Very much changed their farm system, so you know I believe they're now ranked 29th. After that, um, it's a huge overpay, but they got their guy. They got a starting pitcher to go with a bunch of kids who can really hit the ball. Even though Julio Rodriguez now finds himself on the aisle with a wrist problem, so who's in for Juan Soto? We talked about it last week. I know Dan was really bullish on San Diego, but that's the only name I continue to hear, and the only reason I I don't think San Diego will get Juan Soto is because I believe the Dodgers will simply just overpay and say, well, not only do we want him, we definitely don't want them getting him. So, by the way, which is the reason I think San Diego should double overpay to stop, you know, Goliath from even becoming more Goliath with Juan Soto and Mookie Betts in that outfield. Uh, But those are the names I'm hearing. I know the Cardinals are in, uh, and they do have prospects. I just don't think, and we talked about it last week, I don't think the prospects that they have at the top of their list align nicely with what the Nationals are looking for. So, you know, will Mike Rizzo basically say, forget it, we'll make it work anyway. They have the best offer on the table. Sure. you know. I don't think, you know, his he's, he's probably on a 10 month leash here anyway, in terms of what his job is. He got his extension through next year, but let's be fair about what's happening with new ownership and a Juan list Nationals roster. It's just, it's a recipe for disaster for coaching staffs, for front offices, things like that. So, Um, he's going to get what he's going to get, but is he going to jump through hoops? I don't know. I mean, if the Cardinals have a good third baseman and a great, and a great pitcher and things like that, that's what we do. So those are the three teams I'm hearing big time. Will another one swoop in? I believe so. I think somebody's going to come in with a massive offer, whether it's Tampa Bay, whether it's, you know, Cleveland, one of these smaller organizations that we talked about last week that do have the ammo. And don't give a rat's behind about the five hundred million dollar contract. They simply want this guy right now, and are willing to shed top prospects. I believe those calls are being made, and I put Toronto right in that in that conversation as well. Probably in the middle. That's a bit of a middle market. They need a pitcher, but you know, can you outscore teams with Juan Soto versus needing to, you know, helping the run differential that way with a pitcher? Yes, you can. So, I, I wouldn't be surprised if those are the names we're at least hearing over the next 24 hours. And uh, can the small guys come up and, and supersede those big boys, especially the Dodgers? Probably not. But I hope we get offers and packages made public from all of it because I'd love to hear exactly where these, everything stood for a generational player that just doesn't get put on the market like this, let alone in the middle of the season for us to all kind of see out loud. Speaking of which, I don't think Shohei Otani is in the same conversation. I don't believe it. Um, do I believe he should be? Yes. No question about it. The Angels are, are a going backwards team. I don't buy into the Mike Trout career ending stuff too much, just because I think the kind of person and player and athlete he is, he's going to be able to figure this out. I, I'm, I'm being optimistic because I absolutely love the guy. But at some point in time, if things remain as they have, and they've been, they've remained this way for a decade, Both Otani and Trout are going to have to go. And it's the only answer for this organization. This organization cannot buy pitching. They cannot develop pitching. They cannot yet draft pitching properly. Now, they had a few. There were some unfortunate situations. I'm not going to go down that road because it's very internal. And they just drafted the hell out of pitchers. Every single draft pick they made this year was a pitcher. So it's not like they're not trying to push this pipeline out. It's probably going to get there at some point. But this is Otani's window today. Mike Trout's window is not closing because I believe there's 11 years left in that contract, but you know where we're going with this. Um, And if Mike Trout can be healthy and that's step A in this process is getting him back on the field, obviously slow playing it because you want his career to remain intact, getting him back on the field and starting to prop him up as the next big trade piece. That's their job. And it's not, I feel bad for them. I, I do think they've tried like hell. Now they haven't paid top five payroll. They paid top 10 payroll. So have they tried hard enough? Probably not. You know, you have to go out and get Garrett Cole. You have to go out and get the best pitcher available. Will, will they try to get Jacob DeGrom this offseason? Hell yes. <laughs> hell yes. And then will that, will that conversation change about Otani and, and Trout? Maybe. But guess what? DeGrom's two injuries in. He's missed 18 months. He's about to come back tomorrow. And it's a big who knows with his career. So I, I can't even tell you that will be a franchise-saving move, even though that's the kind of player that they should have been going for the past five years collectively. So there is a way to reverse this in simply saying, we're just going to spend, we're, we're going to do the, what the Rangers have done. And we're going to make this offseason a $600 million offseason. For better or for worse, we're going. And it's all going to be toward the pitching staff. We're going to buy closers. We're going to buy starters. We're going to buy prospects for players like Adele and maybe even Otani that can keep us nurturing and and developing these players so that it's a six to seven to eight year run of starting pitchers and not just a one year. Let's see how it works, because honestly, with the rotation, it isn't a small window. You need these things to percolate and grow and develop and continue to flourish because injuries happen. You need depth. You need everything. And they have nothing. And, I, and it's no disrespect to who's there, um, but their home run swing this year was a $21 million one-year showcase contract to Noah Syndergaard, who's coming off massive elbow injury. It's just not good enough. You have these generational position players. You knew you had them. It wasn't like it just stuck up on you, and that was your home run swing. I just can't, can't get there, all right? I can't get there. So I do think they're going to have to listen on Otani this winter, it's, today's not the time. It's not the time for that. Don't rush it. Put him out there this winter. He'll have one year of arbitration left. Whoever's going to get this guy can have the wink, wink extension built into the trade. Now that's going to affect the you know the amount of people you can bring back. But they need anything they can get at this point in time. Okay, they need a eighty percent version of what whatever Juan Soto's compensation is going to be here, and they'll take it. They're going to have to take it because that's who they are right now. That's step one. Step two, then, in that same winter is can you get the ground? Can you get one of these massive pitchers? Can you overpay for Carlos Rodon away from San Francisco? Do it, right? Do it. Overpay the hell out of things and get yourself two to three established starting pitchers that can start to at least turn the corner with that process. And then you can make your decision on Mark Trout, hoping he's now healthy for the 2023 season and is back on track to being the MVP candidate player that he is. And if that's the case, Mike Trout stays. You further develop. Hopefully, some of your draft picks mature into a good situation, and maybe you can start to contend in the AL West. And if not, right? If you miss on these pitchers this this winter, I'm not even talking about over the next couple of years. That ship has sailed. If you miss this winter, then not only is it trade Otani time, but it's but it's 2023 becomes a showcase year for Mike Trout, and maybe this time next year you are dangling Mike Trout as if you know, in Juan Soto fashion right now, day before the deadline, time to do it, put in your best offers, 15 to 20 other teams. I think that's the timeline for the Los Angeles Angels. And it sucks because that's a fun market. We love when the West Coast is playing good ball like that and and has the superstars, but it's time. It's time to stop ruining Mike Trout's career. It really is. And certainly we don't want to see this happen to Otani, who is just you know, one of the greatest athletic stories in the history of, in my generation. One of the greatest things I've ever seen. I remember how fun Deion Sanders was as the two-sport athlete and, and all the gravitas he came with. And Otani doesn't have that personality, certainly, but he has a lot more that others appreciate, right? There's a lot more to him. There is a there is a version, at least a version of Deion Sanders in Otani, for a whole nother class and generation of people. He's that important. And he's that different and he's that good, by the way. So it stinks that they're going to have to let him go. But because of the contract situation, you simply cannot do this. You can't do it. He's not going to want to stay for the rebuild, nor should you want him to stay for the rebuild at this point because he's going to cost you upwards of $50 million a year. And that is not a joke. Okay, I'm not the only one putting that kind of math out there. That's a real thing. And you simply cannot do that and build a starting pitching rotation from scratch in the same, in the same breath. Can't do it. Nor will Artie Moreno do it. The owner. So you got to choose your choose your path, choose your adventure, and the adventure needs to be starting pitchers. That's it. I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. I'll say it next winter. I'll say I'll say it this time next year when they're putting Mike Trout on the block, most likely. But that's the timeline and that's the right path. A um, couple other names here that are getting thrown out there. The Cubs are about to move big. I think catcher Wilson Contreras and David Robertson, the reliever, are going. Um, it's a 1-2 punch it sounds like they're they want a hell of a lot for that 1-2 package i would expect teams like san diego and houston to go really big on that sounds like the mets have their eyes focused on boston for a similar package uh christian vasquez the catcher the catcher has he's an all-star got a 7 million dollar salary which is about 2.3 million at the deadline here they've got relievers and starters they've got jd martinez they got a bunch of players they're dangling out there and uh, it sounds like the mets want to get a two for three situation out of major league baseball ready talent that they could drop onto that bench right now for their stretch run. Pirates have a few more names to go. I think the closer David Bednar goes somewhere, even though he's got tons of team control left. The Tigers may do the same with Gregory Soto. Those are two young back-end bullpen arms that can really change not only right now a team, but for the next two to three years because of the value that they can bring. And then back to Washington. Soto's the name, obviously, but Josh Bell is maybe just as intriguing to a lot of teams who aren't going big. You know, Josh Bell will, will bring a good haul back for Washington because they need that bat. Contenders down the line. You know, Houston's in, Toronto's in, Tampa Bay is in. I like Tampa Bay might be the favorite here for Josh Bell, and we all know how good they do at developing. Could it be a Juan Soto plus Josh Bell package to Tampa Bay? Why not? <laughs> Why not? If Tampa Bay thinks they have a nine-man roster that can go out there for 160 games next year and really contend in that AL East then you add two major league bats to yourself right now and you go and you extend Josh Bell and you go from there. So I like it. I like Tampa Bay being involved. I think they're a better team when they're paying a little bit more than usual. And it seems like that they're about to spend this deadline. And by spend, I mean acquire other people's salaries. So that makes me happy as well. And then what are the giants doing? Giants are super interesting. They, they, They were a similar conversation to Boston last week because of the, are they buyers? Are they sellers? I believe both are sellers both have interesting players to move right now. I mentioned Rodon; He's an expiring contract. He's going to cost 30 million a year next year. Doesn't mean that the giants can't get him back. Trade him now, get some assets, buy him back this winter. We've seen it before. It's not you know common, but we've seen it before, but that's an asset that they have to move at this point in time. He's too valuable. He can reshape a couple of your, of your farm system uh, pieces and they have to get that done. So I would expect that name to be out there at least dangled and, uh, Look, does uh, Jock Peterson, who's, who's injured but can still contribute in September, does he move? Longoria could be a really cheap bench piece for somebody if there's retained salary. There's just some options out of, out of San Francisco that can happen. And by the way, I just spent the whole weekend watching the Mets beat up on the Marlins. Uh, the Marlins are giving up. And even their best pit players, a couple of the starting pitchers, look completely defeated on that roster. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's some agents slash players inside of front offices. Right now, literally standing at desk saying, "You got to do it. You got to get me the hell out of here." Okay, Uh, it's just for the health of both sides. I think players are just completely gassed right now, having gone through another really weird year in Miami. So, a player like Pablo Lopez can really bring a haul back. And I realize the Mets just beat him up, but I don't think that uh, that's the kind of player he is right now. I don't think there's an injury issue. I don't think there's a a a talent issue. You know, he's not twenty three. He's up there in age for an arbitration player. So the time to move him to a team that can utilize him properly is now. And the time for Miami to get that kind of compensation back is now. So that's a name I'm going to throw on that list, even though I don't think he's hitting too many trade lists right now. Just look out for Pablo Lopez because Miami can really do a good job in bringing back some serious kicks, some serious haul for him. If, uh, if he and Rodon and, and, and Frankie Montas and those players are really out there. So that's what I'm looking for. The next 24 hours on a major league baseball it should be a ton of fun course i have dinner plans planned tonight so i'll be <laughs> updating things from from the dinner table but that's just kind of the way the family life slash spot track life works but plenty to planning to talk about probably in the next episode in terms of recapping this and hopefully cousin dan is the doing his prospect work because i do believe we'll have quite a hall of prospects for some of these pitchers and certainly for juan soto as well All right, that's it for today's episode. My thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash SpotTrack for plenty of Major League Baseball trade deadline and Deshaun Watson news. 40% off that first year with theathletic.com slash SpotTrack. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Giannetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the SpotTrack Podcast.